Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into clients. Now, here's the founder and CEO of 10 Golden Rules, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time this podcast finds you, welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. We have a great guest today. Dea Naif is with us. A couple housekeeping, house cleaning items before we get rolling. If you're listening to this on iTunes, we love you for a five-star review. If you're watching, listening on Spotify or YouTube or anything, we, we love those reviews because it helps you, it helps us, it helps us get found and it helps us get great guests because a lot of times when we're talking to authors and speakers and prominent people, they want to look at the podcast and see how many folks listen and, and have reviewed and what our star rating is. So uh, we can make this podcast better for all of us. My name is Jay Berkowitz and we it's planning season. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast, when it just came out, we'll probably be releasing it early December. We did a great webinar on writing your 2024 business and marketing plan for law firms. So you can find that on the 10 Golden Rules YouTube channel. Last year's webinar was viewed over 24,000 times. So I assume the current version will be equally valuable. And I highly recommend getting a head start on your business planning. Because if you, if you get started in December, you can come hot out of the gates because you actually know what your target is for January You've got your strategic goals, you've got your tactics, and you've got someone lined up to work on those tactics. So definitely do that. The other one I want to give a little plug for, we are formally implementing EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System. And there's two great books if you haven't read Traction. That was the first one out of the gate. But if you're more of the founder, the visionary, the one at the firm who comes up with all the big ideas and drives your COO, your chief operating officer, crazy with how many new ideas you bring to the table, you should actually read the book, Get a Grip. And that's the book that I read because I had traction sitting here. I kept trying to start it. And then I hear this with all the, the other, what uh, what EOS calls visionaries. Traction's more of the technical book for the integrator or implementer at your firm. So we are running EOS. We have a phenomenal implementer, which is the external person who helps you run EOS. His name is Gerardo, and we are launching in January. Gerardo Escalona is going to be on the podcast in January, as well as Gino Wickman's first client is going to be on the webinar. So we're going to have an amazing EOS for law firms. He's an attorney, and we're going to have an amazing EOS for law firms webinar in January. So uh, don't miss that. Anyways, without further ado, Dale, welcome to the 10 Golden Rules podcast. Thank you, Jay. I, I loved all the stuff you just said. Those are some of my some of my favorite books as well. <laughs> now, she's here for a couple reasons. First of all, she's um, one of those recovering attorneys who's now uh, coaching other attorneys. And so she's, she brings a tremendous wealth of, of knowledge and, and real-world experience. Some of us coach attorneys without having had to struggle through law school. And so she's she's got the real deal, the real grits, and she's also brings a particularly interesting line of experience, and she has some really great content about women attorneys, how to uh, women entrepreneurs, how to build your business, 
and how to like super succeed in that category. So Dan, why don't we start with a little bit of your background and tell us, you know, where you came from and and how you chose law school and and how you chose not law school. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I was in that actually, I don't know if it's a majority or a majority of the people who graduated from college without a whole lot of plans. Um, I had done really well in school, so I knew I could do that. I also knew I wanted to travel and I thought I was going to do something very international with my career. And so I ended up choosing uh, Loyola uh, University of New Orleans for their very robust international and study abroad program. So that's what I ended up doing for, for law school. And that has not what a great been, place to do that, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that that did not play out into my career ultimately, but I certainly uh, had a colorful law school experience. That's great. And what kind of law did you practice? I did construction law uh, for about 16 years in uh, in New Orleans. Great. And were you at a firm, and what what size of firm? Yes, uh, we had a small a small partnership and I also was general counsel for a few years and that was a, an amazing experience. Oh, great. Awesome. So what was, you know, the business environment like, like where did they get most of the business and what were some of the lessons learned uh, when you were on, on the lawyer side? Oh, absolutely. Business development is key, making a, a name for yourself, especially in a niche market. Uh, so I really developed a, a specialty. I grew up in construction, so I was, uh, Grew up, you know, grew up in it. It was a family business on both sides for many uh, relatives out, different things that we incorporated into day-to-day life and, you know, landscaping and plans and inspections and things like that were all common language to me growing up. And I ended up in, in New Orleans practicing. I had taken the bar in 2005, uh, which was the year of Katrina. And I had a, I had, had, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had had another bar, but I had mainly been doing uh, another, another state, but I had mainly been doing consulting and contract work and, um, you know, government consulting and then also um, housing Mm. work uh, prior to that and decided I was going to settle down and practice. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, a great need for lawyers with a construction background appeared out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Did you need a lot of background or was it pretty straightforward or were the insurance companies fighting back? Um, I did both insurance. I did contracts within uh, private contracts, defect work, collections, pretty much it, pretty much every, anything and everything. So not just your standard insurance right. claims work, but even more, you know, people having to sue their architect or architects having to uh, get paid and waterproofers uh, trying to trying to get paid. And then other people, obviously different parties, uh, suing for water intrusion claims. So it was it was definitely the wild, wild west. So you jumped right in and got like super experienced and and business development was not that important in your first couple of years. First couple of years. Yeah. First couple of years. Um, client selection did become uh, more important after that. Right. So in in that sort of Wild West economy, you know, you don't know who the players are going to be, how, how long the players are going to be there, uh, who they're going to be, uh, you know, if, they're, if their roots run deep, which they do not usually in this sort of circumstances. 
that. And uh, and then who does? And that's how I ultimately ended up uh, being general counsel for a a larger construction company that yeah. was a, a, an old school Louisiana company. Well, we, li- we live in Florida and Ten Golden Rules was based in, in Boca Raton, but we, we were all across the, the country now, but um, I'm still here. And it's amazing. Like I do a lot of local networking, you know, local networking groups and whatnot. And it's amazing when, you know, even a small hurricane hits somewhere like in, in the panhandle or something like all of a sudden everybody's gone to the panhandle in in the trades and the attorneys who work in insurance claim stuff and the uh, property adjusters and like all of a sudden like you don't see them for a year because mm-hmm. they're all like uh, working and a tremendous amount of work comes up uh, unfortunately like people's lives are disrupted you know who get hit by the hurricane and then people's lives are disrupted by a ton of business that comes their way why don't we get into some of the differences and and some of your strategies for women business owners and women attorneys and some of the coaching you do in those areas. Yeah, Jay, that's uh that's a great way to to lead into it. And of course this is, you know, good for other other practitioners as well. But I was asked to develop some programs for lawyer bar um women's bar associations, uh, specialty bars on client development and business development that is focused to women lawyers. So there's a lot of things that are inherently or innate in in women. So the community building aspect, the way that we socialize, the way that we build relationships, we're on an organic and natural level, and then find commonality in things like common interests, causes, uh, social justice, um, you know, globally and locally, just as something as getting better schools in your district um, or starting some sort of program for for people or rebuilding a playground, things like that, where we are known as women to go ahead and collaborate more naturally. And collaboration has been shown to bring in more revenue and serve a larger market. And so even if you're a solo women, a solo attorney, male or female, Developing a network of cross-collaboration partners, you can act almost as, uh, I'll use firm in air quotes, uh, to actually serve a greater audience and make a bigger impact. So this is something that, you know, comes comes naturally. So, you know, even, even Forbes has noted it, that, um, you know, strong female support groups really help the practice. There's a group called Pre- Premonition Analytics, and they're like, Women make, they literally say women make better lawyers and have, are a better value to their client. And I don't know if that is a secret word for undercharging, but that's a whole nother topic. Uh, you know, and it's also been reported that, that women attorneys actually report higher jobs, job satisfaction so, than, than men attorneys. So all these things go together to really solidify that, yes, women should be and in the practice and make the impact that they want to make. Yeah. Yeah. I realized early on in my career, marketing and communications, <clears throat> that women were really, really good at it. Um, you know, they tended to be, you know, smarter, more organized and more efficient than, than most of us guys. And, you know, one of the things I actually theorized early in my career, if I stuck with it, that there'd be an opportunity for me because some women are naturally going to drop out of the workforce. You know, some opportunities are going to be, you know, my experience is going to be relevant. And so uh, 
you know, I kind of, I kind of figured like, hey, you know, it's, it, it might not be such a bad thing that like a lot of the agencies I worked at, there was, you know, six to four or seven to three percentage of women to men. Talk about, you know, you're, you're a young woman and, and or an attorney just, you know, going out and on your own. You know, what are the actual some of the things they should do? Like you talked about community, you know, do they get on boards or like what are what are some of the strategic things they should do and what kind of cadence does that should that take? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just like uh, finding out the why, first of all, like why, why are you a lawyer? Why are you practicing? Why do you want to have your solo, have a solo practice if that's what you're called to do? Um, the, the ever popular Simon Sinek book, you know, start with why, uh, and that is really the best place to start. So think about like why you went to law school, like who did you want to serve? What interested you? Like I had, you know, an interest in international law. I didn't actually end up going, going in that direction, but it was something that was very inspiring to me at the time. And I learned to apply it to other things, but a lot of people go to law school, um, come out of other backgrounds, uh, especially returning students. They've come out of other fields where they've seen where they want to make more of an impact but look at what it is called you to practice law to begin with and then leverage that into how you want to move forward so some people like to pick pick a specific cause they really want to help a certain type of people they want to fight an injustice you know or they just they have a love of what they're doing a love of advocacy a love of learning some people have very specific practices like I, you know, I know a, a woman attorney who has an animal law practice, and that's all she does is animal law, animal rights, um, the things associated with animals, like animal custody. Um, and she's just following her passions, right? She's following her passion and and building a and building a practice. Has several other attorneys working with her, and that's all that they do. So. A lot of people wonder, you know, how do I get involved in community activities, and like, what do I do? And one of the tips that I have many years ago, I was fortunate to get involved with the Toronto Film Festival, which is, if people don't know, it's like number two in the world. It's a huge film festival and tons of the big Hollywood movies are are released there because it's in September. And so it leads into the holiday season and whatnot. And the first year I did, big surprise, the marketing and communications. <laughs> so we did like you know, I got the artists at the ad agency I worked at to do the tickets and the t-shirts and stuff. And and then the committee was thrilled with me. You could leverage with the printers to do inexpensive printing. And, you know, I really stayed in my lane and was able to contribute to the committee, you know, right out of the gate. And then the next year I said, you know, hey, I want to do something, you know, I'll stay in my lane, but I want to learn something additional. And so I took on public relations. And so I, I had worked, you know, jointly with the public relations teams because we were the advertising team. And so I had seen press releases written for the client, but I hadn't written them. So now I was writing press releases, reaching out to the media to promote our events and built some media contacts and got really good experience in that area. And then the third year I said, okay, now I'm going to step right out of my comfort zone and work on like the finance committee or something. So uh, it's still not my comfort zone, but at least I, you know, had to manage the the receipts and the P&L and, and put the financial reports together for the board, because we actually reported to the board of the film festival. I was on the, what was called the film crew, just like the young young executives. But it was a really phenomenal experience. And then the, the fourth year, they asked me to be the, the co-chairman and the fifth year, the chairman. So it was 
you know, I, I use that example to people. It's like, if you want to get involved in the community, in community stuff, you know, you, you, you pick the first one, right? Go with something you're passionate about. Number two, um, you know, I, I say get involved and get involved also. It's like, like get on the board, volunteer, like every board, everywhere, every church, every synagogue, every bar association, everyone wants help and needs help. There's maybe like 10 in the world who have too many applicants. But when you get involved, you get so much more value. So I don't want to steal the thunder here. What, what do you recommend in terms of activating those types of, um, you know, associations or volunteering kind of things? Oh, absolutely. What you just described was was like really going deep in it, going really deep in an organization. And, and of course, you rose the ranks. <laughs> I applaud you for that. I know that is no small feat. So, but yes, definitely go in and go deep in organizations. Uh, you can also be in other organizations, but just remember your bandwidth because you are also running a law practice. Um, so make sure that you can commit. Uh, and that's something I do work with my clients with. It's like, what what should you commit to? What can you commit to? Where do we need to put some boundaries in place? Uh, and what you know, what's this for? And when you can get a double duty like that, it's it's great. So you're doing something that you're passionate about, you're making an impact, and you're also making a name and a reputation for yourself at the same time. So same amount of effort spent and double duty. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, there's friends of ours at, at one of the law firms have a, like a training program for the young attorneys. So one of the things we recommended was Pick one personal and one professional organization to get involved with. And you, because you, you talked, I thought of that because you talked about the bandwidth. And it's definitely one of those things where, you know, everyone's busy, but everybody knows they need to, to, you know, build their professional opportunities. And, you know, when you're an attorney and you want to build your book of business, like even if you're working at a firm, if you bring in business, it's definitely going to help you on the path to partner. And you definitely, if you, want to have your own firm one day, you better learn how to how to build your network. And like a lot of skills, it's a skill you can learn. You know, I, I have a tremendous network, thank goodness, here in the United States, but I came here from Canada. The only guy I knew was my cousin. <laughs> didn't, I didn't, I really, had, you know, didn't go to school in, this, in the United States. I came from Canada and had a very, very limited network down here. So, you know, the one personal, one professional, and and getting really involved. What what other tips would you have for uh, folks, you know, either working at a firm or getting started on their own? Yeah, absolutely. Making the time, again, like the why, the where do you see yourself going? Um, and especially those folks that are in firms and going for a partner, it's like, where do you see yourself going? What do you want to specialize in or get involved in, you know, in the firm? working on the relationships there inside inside the firm as well as your exterior relationships. And I know it sounds like a lot of work and it sounds like a lot of extra hours, but if we sit down and really peel it back, find out like what consistently that you can apply over time that will that will build and then and making those collaborative relationships within the firm. Uh, and now if you're solo, which you know a lot of there's a lot of solo female female owned firms, female run firms, and then it's more, you know, collaborative, like what other types of complementary firms like family law and estate law, like those people go together. So how can they jointly provide services or jointly service the same market 
you know, together? How can they present together? What kind of events and activities can they, who should they be getting in front of so that they can keep each other top of mind? And I know some people are absolutely not going to get in front of people. Like public speaking is not going to happen for them. And then we look at other things, other things that are creative for them that are effective. So putting on, um, putting out articles, sending out white papers, being published, things are a little bit more backstage, but still with consistency, develop that name reputation, uh, as well as that sort of business development marketing piece. Yeah, I love it. You know, it's people always ask me about you know, personal branding and and I talk about thought leadership and we do our monthly webinar, our weekly podcast and, you know, blogs on a regular basis, monthly newsletter. And it's all thought leadership, right? Like it's like just sharing the the latest news in your industry, sharing, you know, what I always tell people, like just answer questions. What's everybody asking about? You know, and everyone's asking me, like, how do I get in the top three of Google screen? And and people are saying, like, I started hearing all the time, like, so this new program came out, local service ads, Google screen, and we were in it. And then we fell out of the top three. So we did a webinar called help. I've fallen and I can't get back up in the top three. <laughs> so, you know, that's a great platform for your your branding, your personal branding is creating content. I love that. And and obviously the ultimate is if you can do this kind of stuff, you know, some people would be a little too shy to even do an audio podcast. Dan and I are not, <laughs> and, and neither of us are shy. Like we'll go on stage. So if you're looking for someone to talk about, you know, women's, women's attorneys and marketing and building your network, Dea's, uh would love to those opportunities. And, yeah. I, and I, of course, I'll talk about anything that has to do with building your law firm, law firm growth and marketing stuff. You talked about, you know, relationships and, and relationships within the firm. I mean, why don't you go on into some of the kind of touchier stuff? Like, is it easy, hard for women to get promoted these days, to become partners, to win business? Like, what are some of the issues that you see people dealing with? Wow, Jay, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a myriad of things that go into how women are progressing in the in the profession overall. Um, the ABA has done some great white papers on it and have some great panels on women in the profession. One of the things that I bring up directly with the women that I work for, uh, what's their what's their goal and like what's their mindset around money and revenue um, and even some of the some of the men that i work with too extremely service orientated people and so we really have to get down to what do you need to make to operate your firm what do you need to make to grow your firm and i have certain benchmarks that i that i come in with but it's it's some of it's geographic dependent. Now I work all over the country and in Canada. So some of it, we we have to kind of look at the local benchmark with cost of living and cost of running a practice. Um, but some people are so service orientated that looking at the bottom line and looking at the amount to charge and the longevity of the clients and what's that going to pay out over time um, is difficult. It's a, it's a tough look at, yeah, sort of our own beliefs about money 
and coming at it and un- unpacking that yeah. uh, for, for women has been, especially has been really eye-opening. So, it, I mean, it, it, I'm kind of going to simplify, you know, in my mind, what you said is like a lot of the women are, you know, very talented attorneys, very organized, professional, you know, very, very good at what they do. And maybe they need, you know, if, if they hit on all those other points, if they build the relationships, build the network, um, build the business and and understand their goals, their career goals, they should be able to super succeed, right? There's no reason not to. Exactly, exactly. So uh, getting getting over hurdles, getting around hurdles, I'm certainly not saying there are not hurdles out there because they, they sure are. Um, but identifying which ones are real and which ones are something that we've perceived even more so. So there is sort of a, there can be a, a internal bias against our own success because of the roadblocks that we hit. So working our way around that and strengthening where we can strengthen and keeping, let's say positive, <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that. Um, but but keeping the course and looking for a lot of looking for alternatives in ways when someone someone does throw us up a up a roadblock. So look, I, now I want you to give us some of the good stuff. So four women attorneys are sitting, you know, at the at a uh, you know at a conference and they break away and they're having a cocktail and what are they saying about the man? Come on, give us the real deal. <laughs> How they get heard more. It would be like, do you hear that Jay said the exact same thing I said? And everybody goes, Jay, what a great idea. And nobody said, Dana, what a great idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of that is, you know, the presence of men, the yeah. uniformity of men. There are, generally speaking, still more men in the room. So we tend to listen to people who are like us. So if there's, you know, eight men in the room and two women in the room, the men are going to pick up on what the men are saying more than they're picking up on what the women are saying. Uh, by, the, by the way, just so you know, men feel like we have the same problem, but it's like a certain guy, you know, always gets heard and uh-huh. a certain person. And so we, we all, I think, it, and some of that's human nature that we all feel like our opinions better than everybody else's and it gets listened to half as much as it should. There's a thing in, in speaking, you know, and, and education, which is, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and tell them what you told them we on this podcast you mentioned something that someone else did a whole section on and if you haven't listened to the charlie Mann interview about building your five hundred thousand dollar referral network listen to that episode but what you mentioned was building relationships with complementary attorneys and you talked about you know like you know family lawyers working with estate attorneys, for example, because, you know, when there's a divorce, everybody needs a new will. And when someone dies, you know, there's issues for the family law and prenups, post, you know, whatever. It's, it all, it's all like, there's tons of examples of stuff that's super connected. And Charlie talked about two meetings a week. And he's, what he said was, you know, really great strategy is you want to just set up two meetings a week. And it's those attorneys that you see at the court all the time or the guys you went to law school with. And you want to just have a whatever they like, Starbucks in the morning or a lunch or cocktails after work, like whatever they like. And just, you know, have a conversation about their business and what's a great referral for them and make sure 
they reciprocate and they ask you. And he said, what you end up finding out is exactly what you just said. So what's your strategy for building those complementary relationships? Strategy. Well, if you were going to that direct approach to where you're actually having sit downs, um, which I love it. Um, there's, yeah. a way, there's a way old book called Never Eat Lunch Alone, which I think is yeah. part of that. Um, I love it. Love <laughs> it. It's definitely one it. of my top 10 business books. Yes. Um, actually, what I what I have people do when we're sitting in a workshop together is I actually have some spheres that are that are sort of pre-designed. Um, they come out of my my mindset of things that I think go together. And we actually go around the room and put spheres together so that those people can go ahead and get acquainted with each other and set things up, set things up for the future. And I always like give away, give away gift cards and I'll give them to like one person and not the other. So I was like, okay, you've got to set this up because one person has the gift card for the both of you. So putting those together. So being strategic about it. So thinking about it. So if you said, I'm a, I'm a business lawyer, I do small business transactions. Like, what am I, what am I going to think of? So you're going to need, you know, a tax lawyer, you're going to need maybe, a, you know, a franchisee specialist, commercial real estate person. So think about those people in your network. Tapping your alumni network is great, especially if you're practicing in the same area where you went to school. It's a great idea. A lot of us are, some of us aren't, but there's also alumni networks worldwide. So being online is amazing. I love LinkedIn. I'm a LinkedIn guru. I love to be on there. It's a, a 24-7 networking event. And I'm a networking event kind of person as well. But a lot of people aren't and a lot of people don't have as much time. So that's where you want to be selective. So do you want to go to your trade group, like say you're a, a woman in a state law. So go to the women in a state law group. Yes, because that's great for education and content and keeping up with trends, but you're not going to get referral sources there. So that's when you would want to go to the estate planner's lunch or, or then something else, something else that you like, uh, Rotary or uh, Lions Club or, or one of those that I think about it, Lions, is Lions Club still just for men? I think I don't have. <laughs> it, it couldn't be. Did anything exist to me? So yeah, that would be a way, a way, way throwback. And going to like a civic, a civic charitable organization and getting to know people there. And of course, there are very specific networking groups that are for uh, attorneys putting, putting things together, like provisors. That's a, a very specific type of group where it's attorneys and people that work with attorneys, uh, accountants, people who do B to, all B2B. And, uh, and then, of course, if you're uh, local and you're doing something like family law, you know, a B&I is great because that's, you know, your B2C and you're working with people there that need family lawyers for some need family lawyers or know someone who needs a family lawyer at some yeah. point in time. And so you've had breakfast. Uh, with these people, you know, every week for uh, a good good bit of time, they've gotten to know you, they've gotten to know your personality, they've gotten to trust you, and then that's where you can also get uh, good support and and client generation, client referrals. Yeah, BNI is awesome. Business Network International. If you're you know just starting out in business, if you're just starting out in law, and, or you know, or or just at any stage, frankly, BNI is great because. You get a local network, you know, particularly if you're in, in a local business. First of all, you can be the, I got a guy, I got a gal 
you know, person, because then people will know like, Hey, I need an air conditioner. Do you know someone, you know, do you know a good plumber? Do you know a good landscaper? And you've always got a guy or got a gal, you become sort of a go-to person, which is one of the principles of great networking. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in terms of building your business, you've got like 30 or 40 people in the room who are all trying to send referrals to you. Our little BNI in, in like two years has generated over $4 million of business. We started in the middle of COVID online. We don't even meet in person. And, you know, people have made, you know, like the landscaper is a young, young uh, startup business. And he's doing two or $300,000 a year now just from his BNI. Uh, so, you know, same thing for the attorneys. And we're working with the personal attorney in our BNI group. So I highly recommend it. You touched on you know, relationships and, and no like, and trust the, you know, old saying is, you know, we do business people, we know, like, and trust. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And especially in a field like the practice of law, you want to, you want to trust your lawyer. Um, I know that's a, <laughs> I have a coffee mug that says, trust, <laughs> trust, trust me, I'm a lawyer. Um, so it's a little tongue in cheek. Um, however, when we are in need of an attorney, we, we call an attorney. We call someone that we know. It might not be the practice area. I get calls all the time for people who know I am an attorney, but they have a personal injury issue or they have a divorce issue or they have a tax issue um, and they don't know anyone to call. Uh, but since they know me and they, they know I wear that hat, um, then, I'm, then, I'm a, then I'm a first call for them. So they, they trust me. And so therefore they will trust someone that I, I tell them to call, right? I'd say, hey, usually I give them a couple of people unless I know they have a very specific area that only one or two people handles because it is a relationship thing. So if you hire an attorney and for some reason you guys don't click, y'all have opposing football teams or <laughs> whatever the case may be, then, you know, there, there are others. There are others. Uh, lawyers know other lawyers, surprisingly enough. Uh, and we can certainly find you the right fit. Awesome. So th thanks for us, you know, doing some of the easy questions and some of the tough questions about, you know, women's law. Talk about your practice, your business as well, in terms of, you know, you, you were telling me about some great work you do on expansion plans and exit plans and the focus of, of some of the people and, and some of the financial management stuff. Talk about some of those areas of expertise. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Jay. Love to talk about stuff like that. Um, so my my sort of bread and butter market is the small firm, the under 15 lawyer firm. And we come in, we, right now it's just me, the success partner. However, I do uh, aspire to have other coaches on my team uh, when they're, you know, when they're ready and when that, when that grows out of our own business plan. Um, but we come in and everything is custom. So we really look at what's going on in the firm, where you want to go, the visionary you mentioned from EOS, the visionary and the implementer. So like what's working there, what's working not, and is it in line with the firm owner's vision or the, the partners and the principals in the firm? And sometimes the partners and the principals of the firm don't have the same vision. It's like, okay. This is why we're not got moving. some work to do here. <laughs> yes, this is not where we're we're this is, this is what's going on. There's uh, definitely a, a mix up here on what's going to happen with the firm, and it will ultimately cause the deterioration and possibly implosion of the firm if not yeah. brought to the table. So you know, each year at least there should be some hard conversations, and I've been happy to 
mediate, facilitate those conversations uh, with folks, but even more frequently, uh, you know, I generally meet with my people like every, every two weeks for the first year. And then we space it out a little bit as they, as they go on and we do a growth plan. But again, that all of that is based out of the first conversations that we have. Um, some people just need an intensive something or another. Some people need some customized continuing education that's specific for their firm. Some people are doing some some transitions. Some people are doing some staff transitions. And it's like, what kind of staff do we need for the particular practice area that we're serving? And it can be it can be very different from one to the other. I love it. You got you got a lot covered and a lot of expertise. Well, as I mentioned, I always wrap our podcast with a couple quick and easy questions. This one's not not as quick and easy, but I'm a member of a group called the Strategic Forum and our group is audited by the MBA students. And so we always ask the speakers, you know, tell us about a pivot or a major life decision that would be interesting or valuable to the students. And maybe, you know, in your instance, like obviously you made the pivot to go to law school, made the pivot out of practicing law. You know, talk about those decisions and for people, you know, lawyers, people considering law school, people considering you know, getting out of practicing law, how did you make those decisions and how, you know, what kind of factors should people weigh in in those decisions? Yeah, absolutely. Weigh some factors, prototype some things out. There's another book that I love called Designing Your Life. Uh, It came out of Stanford. And I think it was some engineers and architects that actually brought it, brought it to life. And then now it's actually part of their curriculum. But prototyping what your life is going to look like, should you choose the various paths that you're thinking about choosing? Um, I made a lot of decisions based on like what was in need. So it's like, well, at the time someone needed construction lawyers, I fit that bill. So that's what I did. Um, At the time I was graduating from college and didn't have enough specific subject areas to go to graduate school. Then I was like, oh, law school, they, they, take a nice good round in general studies education. Let's do that. And uh, I'll take the LSAT and see how it goes. So, uh, you know, not not a bad choice. Uh, I found law school very interesting. And, you know, and, and other people did. I said, I've got to be the only person who's in law school because they didn't actually know what they wanted to do. And I found out that like 30 to 40% of law students are actually in that category. So, okay. <laughs> and, then we, and then we later make a go of it. And- Yes. Uh, yeah. And then developing a business. So I'm obviously in a service orientated business. Um, you know, my company does also have, you know, products, you know, courses, a book in the works, that kind of thing. But generally in that service, you know, and I've always represented, I've represented businesses. So even if you're a solo practitioner, you are a business. And when I was in construction, I represented, you know, businesses. So again, even if you're a guy with a truck and a hammer, you're running a business. And I, yeah, you know, for sure. Like, like, yeah. So, what's the good of the what's the good of the business? Like, what's the good of the child? What's the good of the project? What's that? Like, let's look at that as its own entity that you are also creating, that you're giving birth to, that you're living with throughout its throughout its life cycle. Great. Do you have a couple or or one personal productivity hack or an app or something to be more efficient? I I love those. <laughs> I do too, Jay. I really do. I must have, I don't even know how many hundreds of apps. Um, haven't found the perfect one. They say to write down 
Well, there was, there was another book I read. It's um, Future Proof, I think. Uh, anyway, but they said every time you run into like a problem, write it down for like 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, then you have your like next, you have your, you have your million dollar idea. And so with all the apps that I use, I, I don't have one that covers, you know, every, it, there's always some sort of bug. There's always some sort of, oh, if only it did this, if only did that. Um, so I have, I have certain things. Um, I do use a calendar. I live and die by my calendar. I have a scheduling um, link, just like you, just like you do. I have yeah. a scheduling link. Yeah, Cal- I, I don't know what I'd do without Calendly. Saves me about a hundred hours a month. Yeah, and do you know it's funny? Some people will still refuse to use it. They still yeah, refuse. Yes. They sure. they write back and give me times, or they'll yeah. look at it and then call me back with some times. And I'm like, just click the button. Just I know. Every time I don't use it, it drives me crazy. Like I sent. A candidate sometimes for an interview tomorrow, mm-hmm. and he replied by email, but I didn't see it. And then I booked over the times I gave him. How about any blogs, podcasts, or YouTube's? Anything you subscribe to? Anything you don't miss every month? I got on the Huberman podcast at the Huberman Labs. I love uh, bioengineering, biohacking. Uh, I too want to live forever, and you know, actually, my I'm blessed with longevity in my family. Like we we live a very long time. And I would like to be functional for that long length of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I got very interested in, in the really? biohacking. And uh, of course, my uh, Neil Tyra, law entrepreneur, friend of mine, uh, definitely uh, love his stuff. And he has some great featured presenters as well. Yeah. Oh, and then my guilty pleasure is, is true crime. I, I listened to 48 Hours and 2020. Um, but not too much, but not too much. It gets to be too much. Yeah, there's <laughs> lots of it now. Only Murders in the Building was a lot of fun. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. All right. And last one, your NFL team. Uh, Got to be Saints. Got to be Saints. So I was a, 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 was always uh, a New Orleanian uh, at heart. And uh, I would say that was my also my team yeah. when I grew up when I grew Great. up in Alabama because it's just uh, it's just down the coast. So that's our that's our regional team. Good. Well, you know, it's uh, I think you guys are rebuilding a little bit, but you know, you'll be back. Awesome. Well, Dea, thank you so much for your time today and all the insight and all the book. I'm going to have to load up on about four from Amazon and hopefully everybody else does too. But thank you so much for your time. And where can people find you? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, the successpartner.com and then LinkedIn always. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Jay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing for Law Firms podcast. Please send questions and comments to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That is podcast at 10goldenrules.com. 